0: Today is our monthly Q&A session, and if you've not been with us before for a Q&A session, it's just a day where I take some time to go through and answer some of the questions that I've gotten from the audience, and that is sent to me either through email or direct message or through Facebook sometimes. And so if you have questions that you would like me to answer on the show, feel free. You can email me, rachel at shehears.org. And especially when I start getting the same kinds of questions or questions around this same topic, then I try to answer them because my goal is really to kind of help you grow in your spiritual life. And if you have questions, I want to be a resource for you. So the first question we have today is, do you need to be baptized to go to heaven? I think this is a question that a lot of people are confused about. And I think some of the answer depends on, well, the answer doesn't depend on this, but some of the confusion depends on what school of thought you belong to theologically, meaning what denomination you're from. There are some denominations that teach that you do have to be baptized to go to heaven. I remember when I was a younger believer, And I was working with a youth group at, well, not working with youth group. I was volunteering at a youth event with a friend of mine. And it was a different church. I knew her to be a Christian. She came from a great Christian family. And I grew up in the understanding, the biblical understanding that salvation comes, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so we had a teenager there that made the decision that he wanted to follow Jesus. And so I prayed with him and he accepted Christ. And then the leader, the youth pastor said, well, no, because we we don't have the baptistry open and it will be open until Sunday and it's Friday night. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, it's good that he prayed that prayer, but we need to baptize him. And I said, Well, what would happen between now and Sunday if he died? He said, Oh, well, God would make the exception. And my thought with that was, Well, first of all, that's not in scripture anywhere. Second of all, how, why would there be an exception made for one person but not for other people? And third of all, why is the water, why is baptism so important? And and in that church, they believed that it was the water that changed you. Well, let me just set the record straight that it is not the water that changes us. It is the blood of Christ that changes us. And so if that were the case, that if all we needed was holy water to change us, then it would nullify the reason that Jesus had to die in the first place. There's nothing magic or special about the water. You see, the, the goal of baptism, you have to think of it almost like a wedding ring. And actually, this is a good example because I'm not wearing my wedding ring today. I am Rachel Grohl. The reason why my last name is Grohl is because I married Tim Grohl. He is my husband. Whether I have my wedding ring on or off, it doesn't change who I am as Tim's wife. See, the same thing is true with baptism. Now, baptism, just like a wedding, is a public declaration about a relationship. When I married my husband... It was a public declaration that I was committing my life to his. In the same way, very similar, baptism is a public declaration that we are committing our spiritual lives to Jesus. If you are not baptized, it is similar to To not wearing that wedding ring it doesn't change getting into heaven if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that jesus is lord and that he died on the cross for you then you are getting into heaven baptism is more about this public declaration where you can make this public profession of your faith so that everybody about around you knows that you are a christian but that is not what determines whether or not you get into heaven And, you know, I've seen this flesh out different ways in different countries. There are some of the African countries that we work with where in the tribalism of their religion, not Christianity, but the religion that they're birthed out of, you know, whether they're, they're you know, sometimes there there's a Muslim culture, there's some tribal religions, there's some animistic religions. But a lot of times, especially in Western Africa, they believe that there is witches in the water. And so they don't want to do baptism because even though they've come to faith in Christ, they still have this caveat they still have this fear because they think there's witches in the water and they don't want to do it so then it becomes this whole process of teaching them about who jesus is about the reality of spirit the spiritual life and the power that even if it was a demon or something that we have authority as believers because of the holy spirit and so we have to have this whole class before we can even convince them that it's safe to go in the water and so i want to say You're not alone in this concern. I think the enemy has used it as a tool to keep the body of Christ confused. But no, absolutely not. You do not have to be baptized to go to heaven. Now, that being said, do I think people should get baptized? Absolutely, because I think it's part of our witness to explain to other people and people around us that we love Jesus and we want to make that a very public, personal thing where we had the people around us know that we have our hearts dedicated to the Lord. So let me see. The next question is I worry my relationship with God is not strong enough, and I fear I don't know anything or everything I should about the Bible. Well, the reality is, is none of us do. You know, I might be farther down the path than you are, but that doesn't mean I know everything there is to know about the Bible. The whole point of spiritual growth is that we're constantly growing. And this side of heaven, we're never going to know all that there is to know. There's always more of God for us to get to know. And so the point I think I would make is start where you're at. And while you don't have to know everything about the Bible, I think it is worthwhile It's a worthwhile goal to start trying to learn about the Bible. And the good news is, is if you're listening to Hearing Jesus podcast, if you're part of the She Hears community, you are doing that. And I get it. I get that there's a lot to learn. I mean, we're only on, we've done the Psalm series and we've done, we're almost finished with the Matthew series. There's 66 books from the Bible. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to go through. We'll get there. You'll eventually get there. I think it's similar to again, our relationships with other people. When you are first in a new relationship with somebody, you don't know everything that there is to know about them. And in fact... I've been married for a long time and I'm still learning things about my husband to this day. My, my brother in law is visiting from out of town and seeing my husband with his brother. There's aspects of that relationship that I'm observing and I'm learning for the first time that I've, I've lived with my husband every day. So I, I just want to give you a little bit of ease, give yourself some grace and don't allow that to stop you. The goal is to continue to grow. Let's see the next one. Family who talks about you for hanging around the opposite race. I guess the question is, is how would we deal with that? Well, let me make it really clear that there were interracial marriages in the Bible. And there's lots of them, actually, to be clear. Moses and Zipporah, for one. Zipporah was a a very brown woman And he was, I mean, he was brown, not quite as brown, but, you know, they they were a mixed race couple. And I think sometimes they're this, again, it goes back to what we've been taught in our culture or in our family or in our background, but that's not what the Bible says. And I would say that in any area of your life, if your family is speaking down to you about any aspect of a biblical worldview or following Jesus then there's a couple things. There's a couple ways to handle that. Number one, your primary relationship is your relationship with God. Your primary relationship that you have to make sure is in right standing is your relationship with God. And sometimes that means setting up a boundary with family. And so that might mean saying, Hey mom, we are going to have to agree to disagree. That's not what I believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. And this is where I stand on the issue. Sometimes that goes over well, depending on the emotional health of the family member. Sometimes it goes over not so well. I remember when we were going through the adoption process, and just in case you don't know, we had a failed adoption with a little boy from Africa. We spent six years and tens of thousands of dollars trying to bring him home. But in that process, because he was brown, there was some kickbacks. some from from some family members. And we had to have some hard discussions. And you know, I don't come from a Christian family. So for me, I was one of the first members of my family to say, this is what God expects of us. This is what's on God's heart. This is how we're handling this. This is how we're called to love. And it wasn't just hanging around the opposite race. We were gonna bring somebody from the opposite race into our family. We were 100% certain that that's what God wanted us to do. And we were open to that. We're still open to that. But yet that was not met with acceptance from our family. And you know what? There was a boundary there. We ended up having a little bit of distance in that relationship because every time we were around them, they would complain about it. And finally, we had to say, okay, if you continue to talk like this, we're not going to be around you. These kinds of conversations are not invited into our family in front of our children. And you cannot talk like that in front of us anymore. And of course, there was some space and there was some distance in that relationship. And that part you can't handle. You can't be responsible for the outcome. You are not responsible for the outcome. You are responsible for being obedient to what God has called you to do. And that includes loving people and being a relationship with people in a different race. And not just the opposite race, all race. God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. And that means every race. So I would say that that might make it a little bit uncomfortable for, you know, Christmas time is coming up, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of that. It's okay. And God will give you the words to say in those situations. Not that it's going to be easy, but he will give you the answers for that. The next one, somebody wanted me to talk about prayers not being answered. You know, this is a hard one. And without the context, it's hard to say specifically. But what I would say is that sometimes no is an answer. And sometimes not yet is an answer. And sometimes our prayers are answered this side of heaven. And sometimes our prayers are answered on the other side of heaven. And we have to remember that God's timing is not our timing. And God's answer is not always our answer. You know, I think about this in terms of things like healing. We pray for somebody to be healed and they end up passing away. Well, if they were believers, they're healed. They're just healed on the other side of heaven. They're not healed on this side of heaven. Maybe the answer was that that healing happened sooner because they went to heaven. That's hard for us to digest. That's hard for us to answer. Or maybe the prayer is for a loved one to come to to faith in Jesus. Well, if they're not dead yet, there's still time for that prayer to be answered. Again, I think it goes back to the timing. And, you know, I'm reminded of the time I was in, I've told this story on the podcast before, so forgive me if you've heard it already, but I'm reminded of a time that I was in Kenya and we were in this field of tons and tons and tons and tons of kids, like thousands of kids. And at the time I spoke very little Luo and they spoke very little English. There was one or two kids that spoke English that would kind of follow us around and be our translators. And they brought forth a little boy who was maybe two or three years old, very tiny. And at first glance, I thought he just wanted me to pray for him because a lot of the kids, they just want you to touch them on the head and bless them and pray for them. And so that's what I thought he wanted. So I, I reached down my hand and I prayed for him and said a blessing over him. And the little boy that was serving as the translator, he said, no, look. And he turned him around and when he turned this little boy around part of his skull was completely missing completely missing and where the skull should be it was all just green festering infection and i don't know how that child was standing up i literally don't know how that child was standing up and i just stared i didn't i didn't i didn't even have words and the little boy that was translating for me he said his father wanted him dead so he took an axe to his head and as a mama immediately I was overcome with emotion and the Holy Spirit said, pray for healing. And I did not quite understand the gifts of the spirit at that point. I did not know what I was doing, but I had seen God heal somebody miraculously prior to that. A couple days earlier than that, I had prayed for this young man who was blind and deaf and and God healed him in an instant. And then we saw lots of other people, probably 20, 30 other people that were also deaf or blind get healed within a span of minutes. So I had seen God do this miraculous healing in in just a a mile from where we were at at the time. And so I was fully confident, okay, God, you can heal and you're the healer. I know you just did it. So I'm going to pray for this little boy to be healed. And so I got down on my hands and knees and I started praying for him to be healed. And I opened my eyes fully expecting this little boy to be healed and he was not. And the Holy Spirit said to me, pray as if he's your own child. And that's all I could think. I started weeping and I and this little boy gave me this hug and I was holding him and I was weeping and praying. And again, I opened my eyes fully expecting him to be fully healed and he was not. And then what happened was we were in this location and it was getting late in the day and the rest of our group said, Rachel, we got to go. And We're in a crowd of thousands of kids. And I'm like, we got to take this kid to a hospital. And they said, there is no hospital. There's a witch doctor and there's a veterinarian. And that's because we brought the veterinarian. There is no doctors around. We did not have any doctors on that trip. And they're like, you got to let him go. We got to go. And I felt so torn. I'm like getting choked up even thinking about it right now. I felt so torn because I had seen God heal this other boy just a few days earlier. I'm like, God, why didn't you heal this little guy? And we left and I cried all night long and I cried the whole next day and we didn't go back to that location for three days. And I cried off and on. I just wept. Like I did not understand. I did not understand what God was doing. I didn't understand why he would heal this boy that was deaf and mute, but he could still survive, but he wouldn't heal this little boy who's going to clearly die from these injuries and there was nothing we could do about it. I didn't even know where he was at or where he lived, even if I couldn't get some sort of medical care. And so we, I just wept and I just prayed and wept. And at the end of the third day, we were back in very close and, to, and to, we were doing a, like an open air crusade in this field, which was close to where it was. And lo and behold, this mother steps out of the crowd and she brings up this little boy and his injuries. He was healed. And God said, my timing is not your timing and my ways are not your ways. Could God have healed that boy instantly? Absolutely. Did he? No. And there was new skin. There was no hair, but there was a scar. There was new skin. And perhaps God had to deal with the infection before before he healed it. I, I don't know. God can do whatever he can do or whatever he wants to do. But what that taught me is that just because I don't see evidence of the answer to prayer doesn't mean that he's not at work. Sometimes he has to deal with the infection. Sometimes he does things in a way that we can't understand because he's God. We have these finite minds that are not always capable of understanding how God moves and works and answers prayers. So my encouragement for you would be to keep praying. And even if the prayer is not answered, sometimes no is an answer. Sometimes not yet is an answer. Sometimes it's about the process of what he's doing inside of you. As you are leaning into this relationship with Him, and and it's the closeness that's happening between you and Him as you trust Him. So my encouragement would be to just keep praying. Let's pray, God. I thank you that you work and operate in a, on a different timeline and on a different scale than we do. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you, even when we don't understand, even when it seems like the answer is a no, or a not yet, or even too late. God, we know that you have a plan and a purpose. So Lord, help us to rest in that. Help us to trust us. Help us to know that you know what we don't. God, help us to remember that our timing is not your timing and your plan is not our plan and your ways are not our ways, but that we can trust you with all of that. God, I pray for my friends today that you would encourage them and equip them to do the things that you have called them to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, friends, thanks for listening.